0: I think the hardest thing about being a Christian is 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 also the easiest thing. The easiest thing about being a Christian is that we have this historical testimony of who Jesus is. We see who Jesus is. We see what he's like. We see how how he treated people. We see the message that he spoke. We see the the works that he did. And we see that and we think, man, that's amazing. That's, that's what I want to be like. I want to, I want to be the kind of person that, that that actually helps people, the kind of person that was willing to lay down their life for others. We see the value of that. We, we see the character in that. We think, yeah, I want that. But that's also probably the hardest thing. Because we, we see that and we think, but nobody's like that. I, I can't seem to ever get like that. Can anybody ever be like that? And so we sort of sometimes live in this tension of going, okay, you know, Lord, you are awesome, and you said, come follow me, and I don't want to be like that, but I think, does anybody ever like that? (laughs) Does anybody really lay down their lives for their friends other than Jesus? Is that actually something that we just think, oh, it's really nice, and it's something to shoot for, but we're never ever going to actually get there? And so we kind of live in this tension of not wanting to to see Jesus for less than he is, but thinking, how are we ever going to get to that? How are we ever going to sort of be like him and, and actually follow in his footsteps. And and I think what happens is we can easily forget, and this is when we stop living by the gospel and start living by religion, but we can easily forget that the life that God's called us to is not a life that he expects us to produce. The, the life that God's called us to is a life that he has promised us that he will produce. The changes in our life that he wants to bring about are not changes that, that we, we make happen by much uh, strong effort and discipline, though there is discipline to the Christian walk. But the changes that are going to take place are the changes that he brings forth by his spirit. God himself does this. And it's important for us to see this. It's important for us, in fact, to see the connection between this gospel we believe and this change that we're, we're, we're called to. We need to see the connection to this. We need to see connection to these facts, this, this good news that we believe. We believe that Jesus is God become man. We believe that when he died on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sins. We believe that he actually physically rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. If we believe these things, it's important for us to see how those realities affect the reality of we're called to follow in his footsteps. How does that work? How does the gospel fit with the work of God's spirit? And that's what Paul's talking about here in this section. After he ta- gives us this sort of practical exhortation that we talked about last week, about, hey, you know, instead of knowing that we're free, knowing that our relationship with God isn't based on what we do, but what Christ has done for us, knowing that we're free, don't use that freedom just to do what you want to do to serve yourself, which is what it's meant by opportunity of the flesh, but instead, through love, out of love, you might say, from love, serve one another. Have a practical and sacrificial commitment to one another. And so we think, okay, that sounds good, God, but how do we do that? And Paul says, here's how it happens. Verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, we're going to talk about what the lusts of the flesh are. Paul gives a, a pretty detailed description of what we, how we know that the flesh is in operation. And we'll talk about what the flesh is in a second. But I want you to notice, first of all, that Paul says something really profound, something that we often miss. He says, listen, he doesn't say... He does not say, stop walking in the flesh. He does not say, stop fulfilling the lust of the flesh. He says, walk in the spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So often the times, guys, we, we we think in our own minds or we have a mindset and we project this and we wonder why people don't want to become Christians. We project this sort of mindset is Christianity is about what you don't do. We don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't date girls that do, you know? We, we, we don't drink. Oh, and we don't fornicate. Oh, and we don't curse. And we sort of identify ourselves by the things that we don't do. And we don't yell at our kids, at least not when you're looking. And, And we sort of want to try to identify ourselves by things that we don't do. And we get ourselves in this trap because we get a mindset that thinks, Oh, I've got to stop doing these things. Now it's, it's not bad that we realize that there's certain behaviors that aren't good that God says he hates, and God says there's even, you know, we're even accountable for, and that we should stop those things, but that's not the Christian walk. That's not the Christian experience. That's not what a relationship with God is meant to be. When Paul says walk in the Spirit, he's not so much talking about here's what you need to stop doing this, here's what you need to start doing. Here's the positive, here's, here's how you step forward. Now there is a time for us to flee. Paul talks about to Timothy, flee youthful us, run away from something. But we run away from something only after we begin to walk in the way God tells us to walk. Now what do we mean by walk? What does it mean to walk in the spirit? What does that mean? It sounds really great, it sounds religious, or it sounds spiritual, it sounds deep. What does it mean? It's interesting when he says walk in the spirit in verse 20 or verse 16. And then he says a similar thing in verse uh, 25, walk in the Spirit. There's actually two completely different words for the word walk, the English word walk. One word that he uses in verse 16 is a word that basically means like, let your life be characterized by. Let this be sort of the pattern of your life. The pattern of your life is being in the Spirit. And the other one that he uses in verse 25 is a word that means, you know, Walk in step. It has to do with the the discipline that we have or the sort of the the day-to-day discipline that we would have and sort of what it means to follow the Spirit. So two different words. One is is kind of a general uh, characterization like, let your life demonstrate that, you know, let your life look like it's one that, you know, you're following the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit. But the other one is, and make sure that you're staying in step, step by step with the Spirit. Both these things are implied. Now, a walk isn't just an action. Walk implies relationship. When we say walk with God, what do we mean? Do we mean like we're going to meet him at Eaton Park and he's going to take a stroll with us? That would be cool, but that's not what we're talking about, okay? That would be great if Jesus would sort of descend from heaven every time we wanted to walk with him and we'd physically walk with him. That would be great, but that's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about relationship. The the prophet Amos used the, the word walk like this. He says, how can... To walk together lest they agree. He's not saying that we're walking down the same street at the same time. He's talking about how can we have a real relationship where we walk hand in hand, so to speak, where we're in this, we're traveling the same road, is what it means. So when he says walk in the Spirit, he's talking about something relational, something in the fact where we, okay, we want to walk the same road that Jesus walks. We want to walk with God. But he says, it's really important to notice this. He says in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so there's this this kind of pre-existing condition that has to be there. There has to be this existence of life from the Spirit before there can be a walk in the Spirit. What does this mean? Well, if you turn back to chapter 3, verse 2, remember sort of a, a rhetorical question that Paul asked the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, This I only want to learn from you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And remember what the, the Galatians are struggling with. These are people that have become Christians. You know, Paul talks about how he experienced the fruit of of a a real conversion. These guys weren't just playing church or sort of saying a prayer. These people were changed. These were Gentiles, not Jews, who were worshiping pagan gods. And they they, they turned away from that stuff and, and knew that Jesus was God in the flesh and that they needed to put their faith in him alone and his death for them. I mean, these guys had a radical change that Paul talks about. But what happened when these false teachers came along? These false teachers kind of came behind Paul after Paul left, and they said, Oh yeah, it's good you believe in Jesus, but you also have to keep the law of God, man. You need to make sure you keep all these rules that God sets out for you. And so these guys were going, Oh no. Okay, we've got to keep the law. If we if we really okay, if we really want God to still do something in this we're going to have to keep god's law and so they began to sort of keep all these rules and these regulations and things that, that probably were in the old testament things that god did require but really it was just becoming this burden and this drain and so when paul asked him this question he says listen when you received the spirit did it happen because you thought okay i really need god in my life so i'm gonna start doing all the right things and you got to a place where you did all the right things right enough and god said okay now i'll come and live within you is that what happened no, you didn't receive it by the works of the law. <coughs> you didn't receive him, excuse me, by the works of the law. You received him by the hearing of faith. You knew that you needed God and you didn't know how you are gonna connect to God. You didn't even know who God was. But when Paul says, when I came along and I said to you, this is, here's who God is, he's like Jesus. That's his son. We know the father because we see the son. Here's what God's like and he himself made a way so that you can know Him, so you get a relationship with Him. And He Himself, when, when you put your faith in Him and what He's done for you on the cross, not only will He forgive you and cleanse you from all the things that you've done wrong, but He will declare you as righteous, and God Himself will take residence in you. God the Spirit will come and dwell in you. Now this happened. These guys experienced this. They didn't just know it happened. They just think, okay, I believe that happened. These guys had, according to the context, we see some pretty radical things happening, talking about miracles taking place. They saw God move. They knew, wow, Jesus is real. God is real. His spirit is within us. God is joining us, and he's doing great things, and he's changing us. But when these Judaizer guys came along, what happened? Even though they had been given life in the spirit by believing in Jesus, they had received God's spirit to dwell in them because they had believed in Jesus. They were no longer walking in this spirit. Now going back to Galatians 5, this is important. It's important, guys, listen, because if you decide, okay, what I want to do is I want this. I, I hear these things that were, you, you read off, John, and, and, and about what love is and think, yeah, I would love to have more love and joy and peace and gentleness. Yeah, those are good stuff. I want that. And then you try to produce that on your own without receiving the life that, that only Jesus can give you. You know what's going to happen? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. You're not going to experience what God desires to experience, you're not going to actually change. In fact, this is what religion is. Religion is Christianity without Christ. It's trying to imitate Jesus apart from the Spirit of Jesus. That's what religion is. And what Paul's saying to these guys, he's saying, listen, that's not the way it works. You have the Spirit dwelling in you. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for you. It's what, what the gospel is, is, the, is this reality that, that Jesus has not just provided your salvation, but he's also provided for you to be changed from the inside, what the Bible calls your sanctification. It's provided for you through what he's done. And that's why it's important that we recognize when he says, listen, if you're going to walk and step in the Spirit, it's got to be because you first have been given life in the Spirit. If you do indeed live in the Spirit, then you know what? Walk and step with him. If you have received the life that, you, that the Spirit brings because you believe the gospel of Jesus, then walk in that. Then walk with Him. Continue to relate with Him that way. It's important that we see this, guys, because what we're talking about is something radical. We're talking about something supernatural, and we cannot make supernatural stuff happen, can we? We, we can't make it happen. And so we have to rightly learn to relate to God the Spirit in a similar way that we've learned to relate to God the Father. How do you relate to God the Father? How do you know that Jesus or, or God is even your Father? Because the Son has come and died in your place. Because the Son has come and made a way for you. And so we learn that we can approach the Father. Why? Because the Son has made a way for us. How do we know the Spirit's in us? Because the Son has made that possible for us. You see? There's, we have to see this connection or you can't go any further. You have to see this connection or you won't go any further. It's no good, guys, thinking, okay, yeah, I want to I live like a, Christian. I wanna believe like a Christian. I want to believe like a Christian. I want to love like a Christian. If the Spirit of God isn't dwelling in you, nothing's going to change. You need God's Spirit within you, and God's Spirit comes to dwell in you because you've believed in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, do you know what comes with the deal? God's Spirit dwelling in you. In fact, listen to this. Paul says this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Now, it's interesting that Paul would say it to the Corinthians because if you remember, the Corinthians were doing some pretty dodgy things. In Corinth, you had a guy in the church in Corinth who was sleeping with his mother, his stepmom sick and they were going yeah that's cool there's grace god forgives man and paul's going no that dude's got to repent or kick him out hey that can't be happening these guys were doing all kinds of wacky things and you know, everyone's screaming in tongues at the same time and paul's going no it's just two or three you know with interpretation got to do it right you know these guys are believing all kinds of weird things. They're all dividing over, over people. Well, I like Pastor Paul. Well, I don't like, I like Pastor Apollos. Well, I like Pastor Stephen. I'm better than all of you. I like Jesus. And they're all like divided. I mean, it's just a total carnal church. It's a church that's just in a really bad way. And that even though they're in this bad way, Paul says to them, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That the Holy Spirit is in you. You see, guys, once you've been born of the Spirit, what Jesus calls being born from above or being born again in John 3, once God's Spirit has made your spirit alive because because you put your faith in Jesus, you know what happens? God's Spirit stays in you. He abides in you forever, Jesus says. In fact, notice what Paul says. Listen, 1 Corinthians 6, the next verse. This is 6.20. He says, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, or which belong to God. In other words, listen, there's a connection between the indwelling of God's spirit in you and the reality that you've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. You know why that's important, guys? Because there's a lot of rubbish out there that tells you, hey, if you want to walk in the spirit, you better earn it. You better work for it. You better start walking in holiness if you want the Spirit to move. And it's almost as if people are trying to say that you have to earn the work of the Spirit. You have to earn and make yourself, you know, worthy of God moving. Do you think we can ever make ourselves worthy of that? (laughs) Do you really think we're going to make ourselves worthy of that? Come on, let's be honest. No, Paul says, no, that's not the way it works, man. If you live in the Spirit, if you've been given life by the Spirit, don't you know God's Spirit dwells in you? And if God's Spirit will, will, dwells in you, then walk in step with the Spirit. Keep in good relationship with God's Spirit. How do we do that? How do we keep in relationship with God's Spirit? Let me give a couple of examples of, of where that this word walk is also used, this, work, this word of sort of keeping in step with the Spirit. Uh, in in Um, where is it? I just lost my my train of thought, sorry. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter five. He talks about walking by faith. We don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith in 2 Corinthians five. Well, is is it walking by faith or is it walking by the spirit? It's both. If you're walking by faith, you're saying, okay, Lord, I'm not gonna walk by my works. I'm not gonna relate to you by my works per se. Instead, I'm gonna walk by faith. I'm gonna relate to you by faith in Jesus alone and trust that you're gonna work in me. The Bible also says this in Ephesians chapter 2. It says that, that God has prepared good works for us to walk in. Well, what's that mean? So I thought you just said we're not supposed to walk by works. We're supposed to walk by faith and walk in the Spirit. Yeah, there's a we're not walking by works, but we're supposed to walk in good works. And so what you have is this reality, this New Testament reality, that when God's Spirit dwells within us, when we've received what God's done for us through Jesus and God's spirit comes and dwells in us, that God begins to change us. He begins to say, okay, now let's walk together. I think it's in Ephesians 5 where he says, we are to walk in love. So here's, it, here's the deal. As we relate to God rightly, as we walk with God, as we walk in step with him, here's what he does. He says, now I want you to love. Oh, I can't love that person, Lord. I mean, come on, there's limits, you know. God says, no, no, I want you to walk in love. I want you to love that person. I don't think I can do it. Trust me, walk by faith. (sighs) Okay, God, I'll walk by faith. So what do you want me to do? Here's the good work toward them I want you to walk in. Do you see how it all works together? We walk in the Spirit. We relate to God. God, what would you have me do? I want you to walk in love. I don't know if I can do that. Then walk in faith. Okay, God, I trust you. How do I do it? Walk in this good work. It's God leading by His Spirit. God empowering by His Spirit. God equipping us by His Spirit. It's Him doing the work in us, through us. And so it's important that we see this, guys, because what will happen is if we start thinking that the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is dependent upon us getting it right, then we don't understand the work of the Holy Spirit. We probably don't even understand the gospel. In fact, look what he says in verse 17. We have to understand this, guys, that the Spirit of God is contradictory to our own human nature. It's in conflict with our own human nature. Look what he says, verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to each other, to one another. Notice what he says there. Listen, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Literally, what that should say is that you cannot do the things that you wish because that's what it says in the original language. You cannot do the things that you wish. Now notice, guys, we're not talking about someone who doesn't believe in Jesus and doesn't want to follow Jesus because the person who doesn't want to follow Jesus uh, doesn't really care about living like this. They want to live for themselves. Now what we're talking about is, is someone who wants to follow Jesus. They want to walk with Jesus. They do. They desire that. They want to, through love, serve one another. But what happens is they find that, you know what? They can't do the things that they wish. And, and the reason, Paul says, is because what the Spirit of God wants to do and what we want to do are contrary. Jesus said you cannot serve two what? Masters. You can't to serve two masters. When he said that, he talked about you can't serve God and mammon. But here's the reality. You can't serve God and self. You can't serve God. You can't say, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to follow me. That's why, guys, what we experience when we become Christians is not always this, like, wow, life's gotten so much better, everything's so much easier. It's like a war starts within us. We're in conflict all the time. Why are we in conflict? Because there's us that wants to control our life, and the Spirit of God saying, no, no, wait a second, you've been bought at a price. <laughs> You're not your own anymore. You've got to follow the Lord now. You've got to let me take charge. You've got to let me give you what you need You've got to trust me not trust in yourself, you see. There's a conflict that starts. Now he goes on to say, listen, in verse 18, he says, um, <clears throat> but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Let me kind of give you an analogy of this. Uh, I don't know how many guys are techie. I'm not incredibly techie, but I know a teeny bit about computers. And th- Think of it this. It's, it's like as if we are computers, okay? And we're a computer that has two separate hard drives, okay, we have two completely different hard drives. One's called the flesh, that's our natural human ability. One's called the spirit, that's the spirit of God doing it in us, okay? So whereas Christians, we still have these two hard drives. Here's the reality. We have to choose what we're going to walk in. We have to choose what we're going to relate to, what we're going to follow. Are we going to walk in the spirit? Are we going to access that hard drive? Great. If we access that hard drive, we, we, we experience the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll talk about in a minute. But if we, if we walk in the flesh, if we walk by our own human efforts, what do we experience? The, the works of the flesh, which we'll talk about in a minute. We have to choose which one are we going to access. You only have that choice once you've been born of the Spirit. Before that, you only got one hard drive. It's the flesh. And so all you do is, is the works of the flesh. But when you've been born of the Spirit, God's Spirit dwells in you, you, you can choose then. You've been, you've been given a new nature and God himself dwells in you. You can now choose that. You can say, okay, I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to tap into that hard drive, so to speak. And it's, it's, what's amazing is, is that we can think we're walking in the Spirit because what happens is even in walking in the flesh, even walking in our own strength, trying with our own self-effort, do the things that God wants us to do, sometimes that, that drive, that hard drive, so to speak, it flashes a warning. The warning flashes up on the screen. The screen says, you violated the law of God. You violated the law of God. You violated the law of God. And we think, oh, no. Yeah, I've blown it again. And we feel convicted. And we know God's law is good. God's standards are good. We think, oh, no. Oh, I'm not doing it right. I'm not loving the way God says to to love. I'm not doing what God calls me to do. And so we think, oh, I I just, I'm violating, you know, the spirit. I'm violating the law of God. I need to try harder. And so you know what you do? You stay plugged into that hard drive. And you know what you produce? Nothing. Nothing good. And Paul's saying, listen, don't you understand? You can't be in both hard drives at the same time. They both can't run. You weren't, your system wasn't made to function that way. You have to be plugged into the hard drive of the Spirit, so to speak. You've got to be relating to Him. That's what it has to be. Now, Paul talked about what it's like to experience this. In Romans chapter 7, listen to this. He's talking about what it's like to try to live the Christian life apart from the power of the Spirit of Jesus. He says, for I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate, uh, but I do the very thing I hate. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. You ever experienced that? Man, I, I want to love people, but I just don't. I want to have some self-control, but I just don't. You know, I want to show mercy, but I just don't. I don't want to judge, but I do. I don't want to lust, but I can't help it. I just, no matter what happens, the things that I don't want to do, I do. The things I don't want to do, I do those things. I, I just, it just seems like I can't break free. Why? It's because we're trying to do what God calls us to do in our own strength. We're trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit by the effort of the flesh. And Paul's saying it doesn't work that way. That's why legalism doesn't work, guys. That's why Paul says, listen, if you walk in the Spirit, you're not under the law because God leads you to a place that's beyond the law. Remember when we were talking about the law of God a few weeks ago, and and we read from Matthew these verses. This is Jesus speaking, and he says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, I say to you, love your enemies. He didn't just say, you know, love people, but just love your enemies, those who have sinned against you. Bless those who curse you, and do good those who good I'm sorry, do good to those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Hey man, you know, it's hard enough to love my friends. Talk about loving my enemies, so I don't know if I can do that. You know, the truth is I can't do that. The only way that happens is if God's Spirit's doing a work in me. Jesus doesn't say, all right, don't worry about the law. It's kind of a high standard. not going to be able to do it. He says, no, no, no. No, the law, man, it's way, or, or the spirit of the law goes way beyond the letter of the law. What I'm talking about is not just loving your friends. I'm talking about loving your enemies. I'm talking about something radically supernatural that I have to produce by my spirit. I have to do this. And guys, listen, it's important for us to recognize he does this based on what? What qualifies us for this work? What qualifies us for the supernatural work of God's spirit in our lives? Only the gospel of Jesus. Only the work of Jesus. We're not qualified for the work of God in our life. We're not qualified for the transformation because we try really hard. He qualifies us and promises to do this because of what Jesus has done. Now, He then says this in verse 19. He says, now, you know, the works of the flesh are evident. Now, remember what he said in verse 17. You know, when you're in the flesh, what happens? You do not or you cannot do the things that you wish. Now, now, the the thing is, is that when he's talking about the works of the flesh here, we're going to talk about what these things are. We're going to take a few minutes to talk about what these things actually are. Understand this. He's saying, here's what happens. Here's what comes out of your life when you as a Christian try to do what God wants you to do. On your own strength. Now, this is also what comes out of people's lives who don't believe in Jesus. This is what comes out of us naturally speaking. But here's the deal even after we've been born of the Spirit, even after we've believed in Jesus, here's what our life looks like if we're going to live it on our own strength. And what he does, he gives all these different words, these heavy words, these very sort of biblically sounding words that you can imagine somebody preaching with a scowl on their face, right? He uses all these words, and basically what he's doing is not giving us an exhaustive list, but really what he does is he's just sort of rattling off these things that should be obvious to us that are what's coming from our own sinful nature. He says, now the work of the flesh, the works of the flesh are evident, they're obvious. And the first list is what I want to, what we'll call, or what the Bible would call sexual sins. Check it out. He says, the works of the, of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. And adultery simply means this. It means you're married to somebody, but you're having sex with somebody else. That's what it means. You're married to one person, but you're having sex with somebody else. Now, if, anybody have, uh, if any of us had, have had a committed relationship with somebody, and then they've gone off and, and done that, we know how painful it is. So we could probably at least all say, yeah, that's not a good thing. He says fornication. The word for fornication, it's a Greek word, pornea, where we get the word pornography. It originally meant just to have sex with a prostitute, a temple prostitute, but it came to mean any sort of sex outside of marriage. So, you know, where adultery might be you're married, but you're having sex with somebody you're not married to. Fornication would be you're not married and you have sex with whoever you want to. That would be fornication. Then he says this. He says the next word is uncleanness. Uncleanness has to do more of what, what happens in purity. It has to do with your thoughts. It might be, okay, I'm not married, so I, I, I can't commit adultery. I'm not fornicating in the physical sense because I'm not having sex with anybody. But in my mind, who do I have a party? I think about sex. I, 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 I think about sexual things constantly. I enjoy those thoughts constantly. That's uncleanness. Lewdness is not only do I enjoy it, but I talk to everybody about it. Oh, man, did you check her out? I would love to. That's lewdness. Now, we might read that and go, there's no way that would ever be a part of a Christian's life. And yet, if we were honest today, especially us men, I think, if we were honest today, we would admit, I've been guilty of one of these things more than once as a Christian. Why? Why? Why would we do these things that we know that they're just not good? We do these things because, well, because we're trying to live the Christian life on our own strength. We fall into these things. Now, I want to make it really clear. This is, you know, when God says that these things are wrong, this is not God repressing our sexuality. What this is, guys, in fact, we have to understand, your sexuality was God's idea. Don't believe the sort of silly lies about, oh, the, the, the apple that, that Eve and Adam ate was sex. God said, you know, be fruitful, multiply, but somehow do that without having sex. That's ridiculous, you know. Sex was God's idea. God created sex to be what it is. So, so don't, don't think God's saying, I want to repress your sexuality. It's somehow evil. That's not it. But what it does is God says, I want to put limits on that so that your sexuality, you can be as free as possible in your sexuality. In fact, what happens when we, we tend to look at sexuality as something that can be suppressed, and we do this, we start walking in the flesh, we start trying to fulfill God's law, uh, you know, uh, or fulfill God's requirements in our own strength, we can start to repress our sexuality. We can start thinking it's spiritual to, to say sex is bad or sex is, should be co- completely done away with. We can see sex as something that's unholy. You know what you get from that? You get people who think they're called the celibacy, and they're not called to celibacy, and they get involved in all kinds of perverted sex. If you don't believe me, think of all the scandals with the Roman Catholic Church. Men who probably are never called to be celibate, but think somehow it's somehow more holy to be celibate, and what ends up happening? They have uncontrolled sexual desire and they get into abuse. It happens. It happens. It happens with Protestant pastors as well. It happens with guys in leadership because what happens is they tend to think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I'm better than this. I don't have to, you know, I don't want to worship sex. Therefore, I'm not so concerned with my my relationship with my wife. Unfortunately, I've had this had to deal with guys who have fallen into this. Guys who were serving God at one point, but then they. They let the relationship with their wife slide. Why? Because they thought, you know what? Maybe I'm just doing that because I want to make sure I can have sex as much as I can. That's why I got married. So that shouldn't be so important. So I'll back off. You know what happened? They didn't have self-control. They had a marriage that fell apart and either their wife was unfaithful or they were unfaithful or both. Because you're repressing something that God's created to be used good within limits. You know what that leads to? It leads to further sin. See, the, the, the work of the flesh... Does not ever produce the fruit of the spirit. So when he lists sexual sins, this is what he's talking about. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter thirteen verse four. It says, "Marriage is honorable, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. God will judge." Hey guys, listen. I'm not standing before you today as a guy who's pure. Oh, I've never had. I've never committed sexual sin. Man, I wish I could say. That, you know, from the day I got saved, I never committed sexual sin, but I can't. I've been guilty of that. But I'll tell you what, I know that that's what I need to turn away from. And I know that by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit, I'm not a slave to that anymore. That's the same rights for you. Now check this out. He goes on to say this. In verse 19, he also said, or verse 20, he, he names these. He says, the works of the flesh are also evident. He says, idolatry sorcery, if you drop down to the bottom of verse, uh, verse 20, he says dissensions, heresies. These we might put into the category of religious sins. Okay, you say, John, I, you say it's the work of the Spirit, but I've shown some self-control. I haven't, had sexual, I haven't committed any sexual sin in, in months. It's been months. And God's probably pretty pleased with me by now. I'm doing so well. Be careful because you might be committing a religious sin instead. See, when he says idolatry, idolatry is simply this. It doesn't mean that you have to bow down to a literal statue. It could be that. If you're forming a a God out of your hands and bowing down to that, that's idolatry. But it can also be a God that you form with your mind. Well, I believe in God. I just don't think God's a God that has those kind of strict standards. I think God's a loving God. He accepts everybody as they are. Really, do you really believe that? He accepts Hitler as he is? Idi Amin as he is? Serial killers and rapists as they are? Is that really, you really believe in that kind of a God? Because first of all, your God doesn't exist. He's a monster. And second of all, all you're really doing is committing idolatry. You're forming a God in your mind. Sorcery, what's the word sorcery? What's that all about? Well, some of you guys might have a a, a translation that says witchcraft. Now, what this is talking about is not just paganism. In fact, the Greek word there is a a word pharmakia. That's where we get the word pharmacy. Don't worry, you pharmacy students, don't freak out. (laughs) <laughs> you're not, you're not, you're not uh, in the flesh necessarily, okay, don't worry about it. But what it's talking about is not the legitimate use of medicine. The Bible says there's a legitimate place for medicine. Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach, man, if you're feeling sick. So there's a legitimate place for medicine. He's not talking about that. He's talking about this. He's talking about using substances to arrive to a spiritual state. Anybody like Rastaman? Smoke some blow, listen to reggae. Hey, I was into that. I thought it was cool. One love, man. I thought that was great. You know what it is? It's sorcery. It's sorcery. Dissensions, heresies, what's that? In a nutshell, those are these. It's when we think, ah, you guys are the bad ones. I'm the good ones. I have all my theology right. I know all truth. You guys better measure up to me. And if you don't, you're gone. These are what we call religious sins. You know how these things get created? Because people think, oh, I don't want nothing to do with God. Well, that, that can happen as well. No, it's usually because people are thinking, I can get to God. I can be right with God. I can pursue God on my own strength. And so what do they do? They form a God that they can control in their mind or in their ha- with their hands. Or they think, okay, I'll, I'll come to God with, you know, in, in experiencing the way I want You, I'll smoke some blow. Or I'll take a hallucinogenic drug or whatever the case might be. Or I'll fast to the point of passing out, you know. And they do these things thinking, I'll, I'll do this to go to God. And God's saying, no, that's not the way it works. That's your flesh. That's you trying to stay in control. That's you trying to produce something that you can't produce. Oh, I know, I'll get my theology so sorted that I'll be able to defend myself against everybody. No, you won't. (laughs) Ian and I were talking about the reality of how much we love the scripture and how it is so intellectually stimulating. We love to study theology. And yet, you know, both of us were talking about a similar experience of getting to a point where you just go, you know what, I just have to have childlike faith because all I'm doing is my head's just spinning, trying to figure everything out instead of just walking with God. Theology is important, don't get me wrong. That's why we take so much time to talk about the scriptures and learn the scriptures. But the reality is sometimes that can be us walking in the flesh. That's how heresies are created, walking in the flesh, trying to do things on your own strength. So those are religious sins. The next group are what we call relational sins. Check this out. He says in verse, in verse, uh, verse 20, he talks about hatred, contentions, jealousies outbursts of wrath selfish ambitions the word for selfish ambitions it's interesting it's one word and it's a word that means but it used to mean working for pay which there's nothing wrong with that obviously but what it came to be meant is basically striving for your own glory wanting to do something that makes you look good oh look at me i'm so wonderful Remember how the Pharisees prayed, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and how Jesus condemned them? He used to pray, Oh, God, thank you that I'm not like so and so. I do all these great things for you, God, honor wonderful. What are they doing? Selfish ambition, wanting to just have their own glory. He, he, he goes on, he lists this. He says uh, in verse 21 Envies, murders, These are what we call relational sins. They're things where we say, you know what? What I want to do to make my life good, no matter what it costs anybody else, I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to pursue what I want no matter what it costs anybody else. You guys know any families like that? (laughs) Have you ever had that experience? Dads just decide, you know what? I just need to to have some some goals in my life. I just need to pursue. I need to feel like I've accomplished something. So I'm going to work 80 hours a week and ignore my family the flesh Mom say, you know what I'm I'm sorry I'm just not feeling stimulated by my relationship with my husband so I'm going to just get absorbed in soaps and fantasize with romance novels and sort of get consumed by this businessmen who think you know what hey I work hard for my money it's not my fault if all those workers lose their jobs I got my million dollar bonus it's the flesh it's simply living by self and you know what the Darwinists, they can call it self-preservation. They can call it survival instinct, but God calls it sin. You know when that creeps in, guys? It creeps in even for as Christians when we start thinking, I'm going to live this life on my strength. I'm going to prove to everybody that I can do this. I can do it. I can do it. And so you try and you try and you try, and someone gets in your way. And you go, little back off. I'm trying to walk with God here. Outburst of wrath. Oh, yeah, that looks like Jesus. <laughs> That's really walking with God, you know? Or, or we know we're called to love each other, but that guy, he's, oh man, I'm sick of that I hate that guy. And then you see him, how are you, brother? God bless you. <laughs> You're so in the flesh. You see, guys, what Paul's saying when he, when he deals with these things, he's saying something very simple, very clear. He's saying, listen, this is what we produce naturally. We're, we're not just sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. This is what we produce naturally. We are broken people who need a Savior. And we don't just need a Savior so we can be forgiven for all the bad stuff that we've done. We need a Savior to change us so that we don't just continue in all the bad stuff that we've done. If you drop down to verse 26, notice what he says. He says, let us not become conceited. That should probably be translated self-consumed. We, we think of conceited like someone who goes, oh, I look so good today. That's conceited, right? But it's more than that. It's this idea of being self-consumed. It, it doesn't always have to be positive. You Ever met somebody who can only focus on their problems? Everything's horrible for me. I mean, it's so bad. I can't do this. And this is not happening for me. And you're like, and you're listening to him. And you know, maybe like your dad just died, but this person's talking about how, you know, they just, they lost their coupon for Coca-Cola and they're just so depressed about it or something. you're just like, okay, and, and you just think, gosh, you're so self-consumed, man. Can you think about somebody else? And, and, and this can happen. This is how we are naturally. We are so self-consumed. And, and Paul says, let us not become self-consumed, provoking one another and envying one another. Because this is what happens when we try to do what God calls us to do. We end up getting self-consumed. Oh, I'm such a sinner. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. It ain't about you. All right, get over it. You suck. Who cares? Move on. Jesus doesn't. That's the point. You can't do it. He can. That's the point. And when you try to do it, you just end up being this way. You, you, you can, you're contentious with people. You envy people. You yell at people. You exalt yourself to put, by pushing other people down. Man, it can even turn to you murdering people. Oh, John, someone who believes in God would never really do that, would they? What did David do? What did David do? David decided, you know what? I don't need to obey God. I don't need to follow the leading of the Spirit and lead my people into battle. I'll let somebody else do the job of the king. Instead, I'll just stay home and chill out. Ah, chilling out. A little bit bored. I'm going to go outside and get some fresh air. Fresh air. Ooh, check that out. Whoa, who's that? Bathsheba in the bath. Look at that. Sends a servant. Hey, go get her. I'd like to meet her. Kingly duty and all. And he sleeps with her and she falls pregnant. So what does he do? He wants to cover it up, brings her husband back off the battlefield where he should be. You guys know the story, right? Brings her husband back off the battlefield where he should have been, gets him drunk and says, now go home and enjoy your wife. But you know what? Uriah, too honorable. No way. My buddies are dying in the freezing mud out there fighting for the glory of God. No way. I'm not going. He sleeps on the doorstep of the king's castle Ugh, David thinks I couldn't get away with it so finally okay I have to do it I have to do it I've got to protect myself so he t- sends, a, sends the orders to have Uriah sent to the front of the battle and he's in the front of the battle everybody else pulls back and Uriah gets killed he murders him how does that happen it happens when we think I can do it myself in my self I'm strong and Paul's saying guys are you not getting it Galatians are you not getting it Servants' church, are you not getting that? The fruit, or the, I'm sorry, the works of the flesh are obvious. They even lead to murder. This is what happens when you think, my religion is good enough. No, it's not. Never, even if your religion you think conforms to the morality of Jesus, it's still not enough. It doesn't bring real change. Guys, it's important for us to understand something, okay? We have to understand that what the Lord gives us through Jesus is not just an opportunity to have our past sins forgiven. It's not just the the reality that we have a future place in heaven. What God gives us through Jesus, what the gospel gives us, is a present day change. Change. It's not just a transaction. Okay, I believe in Jesus and therefore I get heaven. Or I believe in Jesus, therefore I get forgiveness. It's not just some transaction. We might treat it that way in the West. Hey, here's a transaction for you. Come and say this prayer and everything will be okay. You'll be forgiven, you get to go to heaven. Well, that's kind of cool. Who wouldn't do that? I'll say that prayer. It's not just a transaction. Listen, it's a transformation where God himself dwells in you and begins to change you from the inside out. The last category of sins are what I'm going to call overindulgent sins. Look what he says in verse 20, verse 21. He says, after envy and murders, he says, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. What are revelries? Basically what that is, is basically uh, unabashed parties. You just, just, you're being a hedonist, man. You're just going for it and you're just partying. Now again, I can relate to this because this is exactly the way I lived. I thought, you know, life is just about me. It's just about what I want. Life's about self. And so, you know what? Sometimes life's hard and it's better to get drunk and forget about it. Not only that, it's sort of fun to get drunk and party. In fact, if you're gonna party, you might as well party all the way. Let's go for it. So you do the the the, the thing that you think what well, you just you get to this place where you think, I just want to like tear off all abandon and just do whatever I want to do. I want to celebrate me, celebrate my life, do what makes me feel good now. I'm going to do whatever it is. That's a revelry. It's kind of like this unrestrained partying mindset. Now, I call this overindulgent sins because God is the one who created pleasure. You know, you read the Old Testament, even the law, you see God commanding several times a year, All right, I want all my people to take a week off, and I want them to party. (laughs) I want you to, I want you to have a barbecue, and I want you to celebrate me, and I want you not to work. I want you to have holiday, which is holy day, basically where that word comes from. God commanded them to have that time off. It was God's idea. It was God to say, "Hey, one in seven, you chill out, take a day off." It was God that said, "Celebrate and rest. Celebrate and rest." God invented that, not the devil. But you know what we do in the flesh? We take that, that reality that, that, that God's given, and we twist it in something that's just to please us. Same with drunkenness, you know. There's nothing wrong with having a beer or a glass of wine. It's, it, Jesus had wine at the wedding in Galilee, no doubt about it. Not only that, he made wine. He made wine. This is, you read the context. I'm not making this up. John chapter 2, his first miracle. He made wine for a bunch of drunken people. Now, am I saying drunkenness is right? No, because Paul's saying it really clear. The Bible Bible's really clear. Drunkenness is the flesh. It's not of God. But why do we get there? We get there, guys, because we take something good and we overindulge in it. It also says, and the like. What's that? Gluttony. We celebrated the American holiday Thanksgiving last night. And I really had to pray, Lord, did I cross the line into gluttony? <laughs> Lord, I don't know. Did I? Did I? I was supposed to preach on this tomorrow. Did I cross the line of gluttony? Because I had two big plates of really good food. I, I definitely gave thanks. It was good. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I could have gluttony because, well, one, I didn't have pain. I'm, I'm still okay. There was no pain involved. And, you know, there hasn't been any consequence. I think I'm probably okay. But still, the point is this. It's easy for us to overindulge, isn't it? And why do we get into overindulgence? I'll tell you why. We begin to think, I, I deserve this, don't we? I work hard all week. I try to be a good person all week. What's wrong with me just letting off some steam, having a bit of revelry, a few beers, dozen beers? You know What's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with that. It's the work of the flesh. Now this is where it gets very serious because guys, listen to what Paul says in the last part of verse 21. He says, Just as also I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, you need to be clear about what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying, you can say, Till you're blue in the face that you believe Jesus died for you. If you practice walking in the flesh, if you practice walking in the flesh, if you practice trying to live life by your own standards, trying to fulfill the standard of God by your own strength, if you do these things, you do not go to heaven, Do you understand. Because the gospel is not just that which gives us forgiveness and, and, and gives us a position of righteousness, but it's that which transforms us. If we res- listen, if we resist the transforming power of the gospel, we are resisting the gospel. You see, guys, what Paul's saying is not. You have to never get drunk again or you have to never have a lustful thought again or you have to never have an outburst of wrath again to go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. We've seen throughout the book of Galatians, right? The gospel is believing in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The good news is is Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe as we sang today. But the reality is, the good news is that God doesn't just want to forgive you of what you've done. He wants to change you into something new. And the good news is, is he can, by his Spirit. If you resist that, if you're saying, I don't want that. I like the forgiveness bit. I like the heaven bit. But I don't like the transformation bit. Paul's saying, listen, I've told you this before. I'm telling you again. Then you really don't want the gospel. You really don't believe the gospel. That's sobering, isn't it? It's sobering to think that God says, listen, this is an eternal issue. Guys, God wants to do something great in us. But if we refuse that, what else do we have left? If it's clear as a bell, and it should be clear as a bell to us, that all of us fall short of God's glory, all of us fall short of God's standard. And the truth is we will continue to fall short until the day we see him face to face. But if that's a reality, if we're saying, sorry God, that's just the way it is, you have to take me as I am, and God says, wait a second, I don't have to just take you as you are because I can meet you where you are and I can change you if you'll trust me, and you say, nah, don't want it, whose fault is it if you don't inherit the kingdom of God? Whose fault is it? Guys, God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for me. He wants us to be with him forever. That's one of the reasons he's changing us. He's making us compatible for heaven. We're getting upgraded. (laughs) One day, guys, we'll get upgraded completely. The flesh, the human nature we have, will be completely gone. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like not to have a nature that's bent towards sin, not to be selfish. That's going to be amazing. That's going to be real freedom. And he wants to move us in that process even now. Why? Check this out. We're almost done. Verse twenty-two. He contrasts the work of the the, the the work of the flesh, what we what ends up what we end up producing when we try to live on our own strength, with the fruit of the spirit. Look at verse twenty-two. But the fruit of the spirit is love. Now, this is radical. It's radical because yeah. It's sobering to think if I'm resisting the transforming power of the Spirit, I'm actually resisting the gospel. That's sobering. But it's amazing to think if I rely on the power of the Spirit to begin to change me, then I'm actually going to demonstrate the gospel. See, the good news is not, here's what you can do. The good news is, guess what God can do? (laughs) He can change you. When he says the fruit of the Spirit, he means fruit. He means, listen, He means that which is produced by God. The fruit of the Spirit, that which the Spirit of God produces. Listen to what Jesus said. You guys know this, right? John 15, chapter four, or verse four. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. Nothing. See, here's the thing. Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want asking you to produce much fruit. I'm telling you, if you abide in me, if we relate rightly, if you stay connected to me, if you walk with me, and walking with Jesus and walking in the Spirit are the same thing. If you walk with me, he says, I will cause you to bear fruit. What's the fruit? It's love. You know, John Lennon was right. When he said all we need is love, he was right. He just didn't know what love was. Bless him. (laughs) He thought love was him and Yoko in the bed for 48 hours in a row. He thought love was hallucinogenic drugs so that you can have a higher spiritual consciousness. He thought love was simply trying to bring world peace and stop war. I thought that's a bad thing, but that's not all that love is. Love is, the Bible says, love is demonstrated in this that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. In this we know love, not that we love God, but that God love us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That's love. What's the Holy Spirit produce in us? What's God produce in us? What's the gospel promise us that God will produce in us? Love. Can you imagine how your family would change if you loved the way Jesus loved Can you imagine how our church would change if we loved the way Jesus loved? Can you imagine how your neighborhood would change if you loved the way Jesus loved? Guess what? It's not a pipe dream. It's a promise of God that as we walk with Him, His Spirit will produce love. God will not just show us how we're to love people. He will give us the ability to love people. He's in the heart of God changing business he's in the the love enabling business he does this he says the fruit of the spirit is love now it's interesting because he didn't say the fruits of the spirit are love joy peace he says the fruit of the spirit is love and you could say all the other things flow from love how do we love like jesus and let's look at these words quickly and see how we will love like jesus well he says the fruit of the spirit is love love turns into joy what does that mean well, what did Jesus do? What did, what did Jesus get his joy from? Jesus got his joy from relating to people. The Bible talks about, in, in Proverbs 8, it sort of alludes to the fact that God's, Jesus' delight was in the sons of men. He delights in you. Jesus enjoyed people. He enjoyed people. Do you enjoy people? Well, I'm not really a people person. <laughs> well, ask God to change your heart so you can enjoy people. If you always want to, you know, isolate yourself, you know what the Bible says you're doing, and according to Proverbs 18.1? You're seeking your own. Do you enjoy people? I do. I enjoy people, even weird people, which is obvious by you guys all being in my church. I enjoy weird people. The, the, the reality is, guys, people. there's something great about people. They're made in the image of God. It's, that image is broken. They're messed up. But you know what? If you would take the time, if we would take the time to just love people and just rejoice in getting to know people, man, people are, are great to know. He rejoiced in relationship because of the gospel. He rejoiced in what he had with the Father and he rejoiced what he was having with people. Peace. What do you mean by peace? Well, peace isn't just like the settled feeling that everything's okay. That's what we get from peace. But peace is actually having the war end, the war between us and God end. Peace is equated to reconciliation. So how do we love like Jesus loved? We pursue reconciliation with people. We, 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 we get to know people, we rejoice in a relationship, and we want to say, listen, did you know that you, you can be reconciled with God, that war between you and God where you don't like him and you don't trust him and you don't want him in your life and you, don't want, you wish he didn't exist? God says he's made conditions of peace so that that can be reconciled. He died so that can be reconciled. That, you know what else it means, guys? Listen, it means we can be reconciled with each other. No matter how some, much someone's burned us or done wrong to us, God says, listen, you can forgive, you must forgive, and there can be reconciliation. Sometimes that's a process, but it can happen. That's loving like Jesus, pursuing reconciliation, peace. He says, for the Spirit, love is also kindness, goodness. These words are really connected. They basically both have to do with doing something actively for somebody else's good. The word goodness actually also implies generosity. It's this idea that you're not just sort of not wanting to create ways, but you're actually looking to, to do something to help somebody. You're, you're wanting to actually pursue someone's help. Guys, have you ever experienced the kindness of a stranger and been like, wow, that was really cool. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like you're maybe you're in the who was telling me this? I think it might have been Ilsa or someone was telling me they were at a they were at the train station or a bus station and they were just short like three pounds to buy their ticket. And they're like, oh no. And they're like stressing out because they're going to miss their train or miss their bus and they didn't know what to do. And someone just came and said, what's going on? Like, oh, I, I, I thought I had more money than I did and I'm short sure, like two pounds. No problem. Here you go. Boom. Two pounds. I'm like, wow. Thank you. And it was just like, wow. It was still only two pounds, but it was just like, you don't even know me yet. You're wanting to be generous towards me. That's supposed to qualify, that's supposed to characterize our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit produces in us when we learn to trust Him and follow Him. He says, "Also, listen." He says, "What about this faithfulness?" You know what faithfulness is? It means you can stay committed to relationships, committed to relationships. It's not—it's not, it's not uh, what we experience nowadays, is it? People get married and divorced like it's nothing. People date, break up, date, break up. It's nothing. People jump from church to church to church like it's nothing. We don't stay faithful to relationships. But you know what? Guess what? God, by his spirit, can produce in us a faithfulness. He says gentleness and self-control. Again, in in a nutshell, you know what these things are, guys? They're the characteristics of someone who's approachable. Now, I have the curse of being big and ugly. And it's a curse because what happens is sometimes I can be intimidating. Um, don't mean to be, but sometimes I can be intimidating. Sometimes people are afraid of me. And, and I don't like that because I want to be approachable because you know what I see in Jesus? Jesus was approachable. <laughs> Tax collectors and sinners thought they could come and chat with him, talk with him, eat with him. Women who were, were known as, as, you know, loose and who, who a, a strict religious man would never have sort of a contact with, definitely would never let them touch. Jesus let them come and actually cry tears of joy on his feet and, and touch him. He was approachable. There was a gentleness there. There was a, a self-control there that made him approachable. That's loving like Jesus. He says, against such these things, there's no law. Guys, here's the deal. God wants to do this by his spirit because in doing these things, in loving like Jesus, you know what we're doing? We are demonstrating the good news. The good news is what? God can change us. God is changing us and God is going to, when he returns, change this world. And it's going to be a world where love reigns. This is why he wants to do it. I have a real serious question for you guys. What's the gospel that you preach with your life? Is the gospel that you preach with your life a gospel of morality? I'm a Christian, so I don't have sex outside of marriage. I'm a Christian, so I don't get drunk. I'm a Christian, so I don't listen to non-Christian music. Those are all good things, you know, probably good things to avoid. But is that the gospel you preach? Here's the good news, a moral. Because you know what? All people have to do is live with you long enough to find out you ain't so moral. Is the gospel that you preach with your life, is it a gospel of effort? I'm disciplined, man. I work hard to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I make effort to serve at church. I make effort to tithe. I make effort to get these things accomplished. Because guess what? That's not good news for people that try and fail all the time. That's not the gospel of Jesus. Or do you, does your life demonstrate the gospel of Christ? Does it demonstrate it by that you, not because you're so great or because you produce these things, but as you walk in the spirit, God is producing love in your life. Because that's what God's calling us to, guys. He's calling us to preach the gospel with our words, yes, yes, with our lives, the gospel that produces the love that Jesus showed on the cross. That can only happen if he does it.